Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rodeo Wagon Podcast. And today we're here with Luke Bradley. Man, Luke, you literally have to be the most, one of the most cowboy as far as everything you're doing. You train horses, you ride bulls, you do leather work, you do farrier work. And what else do you do? Pretty much everything that we're doing with the Western Edge app, like, it's like everything you do. <laughs> well, I first off, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity. But I didn't really know we were going to be this professional. I thought we were just going to talk. Well, we're just talking. <laughs> like, 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 you, re- you really can't. People that come on here, maybe they don't know who you are. So, well, I mean, that is true. That is true. I mean, we'll get. We'll get to that point, but <clears throat> still, like you come at me like, like you was interviewing me, like on CBS Sports, and it kind of, kind of freaked me out. I'm a little nervous now. <laughs> All right, so what do you want to talk about? Well, I mean, what's new with you? Yeah, what are you, what are you doing? I mean, man, we got the rodeo wagon going, so this is kind of new, right? Just got a brand new. I mean, it may have been made in like. You know, mid nineties, but you know it's new to hey, us. Hey, it, yeah, it's new to you. I mean, that's all that matters. It's cool and included. It was like the you know discussion of whether we wanted to get like a transit, you know, and like you know go newer, or if we just wanted to go straight cowboy. So, I mean, like <laughs> retros in. I mean, like that's the thing, vintage. vintage. I mean, that's the style. Yeah. This is definitely vintage. Well, to us, it's vintage, you know, to our parents. Like, this right. was this was just, you know, <laughs> like growing up, this was, like, you know, this was the transit, you know. This, that was the, yeah. Which everybody did, so you kind of had to do it. <laughs> I can remember uh, growing up, there's six of us in my family. So, uh, before my mom got to Suburban, she had a, she- a Chevy Astro van red it was pretty awesome and then whenever my andy and seth my two older brothers whenever they first started rodeo and that's what they rodeoed out of was astro van yeah that was like that was like early 2000s yeah and then uh what was that one jordan allen he he hauls everywhere that was like that next step from the astro van everybody was rodeoing yeah i can't remember uh, I remember. I know he had a van. I don't remember what kind it was, but he had it decked out with the the plywood bed, I think, and everything. It's pretty, pretty legit. I was yeah. a little bit more modern. Me and my Prius. The Prius, yeah, the gas yeah. mileage. I can't. I really can't take uh, like a hundred percent credit for the Prius because Denton Fugate. I mean, he was pretty much the one that. That broke the mold with the Prius, the gold Prius. But. For a few years, I did the neon, the neons. I went through a few of them. What was that? What did we take to, uh, remember when we went to Columbus? Wasn't it Columbus, Ohio? And then we went to Hamilton, Texas? That Was that the... It was a big old town car. I can't remember what yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um... Oh, not the Bonneville. That's what I. That's what I, the other one I have now. Um, it was like it was like driving a boat. Like it was. <laughs> it, was it was the same thing as like the the Bonneville. Yeah, yeah. That was that was legit. So I went from the neon to that, and um, I don't think I've ever had a rodeo rig that was past two thousand one. That, that's the newest really? one I've ever had. Was O one. Everything else was really O one or, or older. Mostly because we, we put took so it. many miles on vehicles. Like, like for me, I I don't see the point in spending the money, whether I have it or not, to buy a newer vehicle, to freaking put you know the amount of miles we put on a vehicle. Whereas I can you right. know like those neons, even even um, that that one, uh, it was only I think I spent two thousand dollars. You know, that neon had a hundred thousand miles on it, and I paid eighteen hundred for it. And I drove it to two hundred fifteen thousand. So like, I got my money's worth and some. I was always afraid of breaking down on the side of the road, so I kind of like to have a newer vehicle. Well, I'm not very it, mechanically inclined. It is a plus that my brother-in-law is a mechanic, and so right. I, I mean, that was my safety safety net. There was 
he would make sure I don't I was pretty blessed in the fact that I traveled a lot with Quentin and he purchased uh, a brand new Chevy Cruze yep I think it would have been in I want to say 2015 maybe or maybe 16 I, I can't remember but it was like in two years, he had a hundred thousand miles on it, though. Like we yeah. wore that thing out. He didn't have it for he didn't have it for twenty four hours, and we took it all the way to California and back. <laughs> I think this I year had... already. This year already, we started in Lexington. This is all driving. So we went to. Let's see. Let's look at the schedule real quick. So we went to Lexington, Kentucky, and then we drove to Denver, Colorado, and then we drove back to Charleston, West Virginia, and then we drove to Greenville, South Carolina, and then Grand Rapids, Michigan, North Charleston, South Carolina, uh, Reading, Pennsylvania, or Reading, Pennsylvania, and then this next mm-hmm. weekend is this coming weekend to Memphis, and that's all within a month, you know. Right. And you, I mean, I, I went to I went I went I went to one in Iowa this year. So I mean, don't yell at me. It's was it Sioux <laughs> City? Uh, Tumwa. What? A Tumwa. Oh. Okay. A Tumwa, Iowa. Yeah, was it yeah, a Oh, yeah, was there a okay. Yeah. No, I haven't really been going, but you've been doing talk about this app. Huh? No, what was he saying before that I cut you off? Yeah, well, what are you doing now? I mean, are you mostly shoeing or are you, you know, training? I know you're doing the leather work too. I mean, what's kind of that balance for you and what you're doing with the schedule? So, like right now, what's paying my light bill would be shoeing horses. Um, I've got about. Last time I counted, I think I have six mares, fixing to have four colts this year. And I kind of always have one or two horses that I'm training and riding and selling. It's kind of more, I kind of train more for myself more than I do for outside people. Um, I I enjoy that more, but I'm, I've always got one or two, it seemed like, for the last couple of years. Less and then, then being a dad, loving the dad life and family, and um, we've got uh, me and my wife recently purchased um, half of her family farm, and we've been doing lots of renovations and kind of, you know, putting our touch on everything. And that's been taking a lot of time, but then. Doing leather work when I can find time. Yeah, I think I'm I'm working on a pair of shaps right now that uh, Skylar Sims won for winning the NFPB championship back in 2019. So I'm a little bit behind. <laughs> it's, uh, I feel like a lot of people are yelling at me right now about it. But is that more of you know? I mean, you probably could you probably could make a living doing just one of these things. So is it more of just like a hobby you enjoy, kind of each each facet? Yeah, I've, I have I tried uh, doing leather work for a living, and I it kind of took the integrity of the work out of it for me. I, mm-hmm. I really like the I have the most or find the most joy doing it when I am kind of giving free reign on whatever I'm doing and um, kind of doing it my own own way. Um, I know when you do shaft, when, when you did those shafts, you always talked about how you, you don't like to do the same thing twice. So everything you do is unique. So if you do two shafts that generally would be the same, you're, they're going to be different. They're going to be right. Different. You're right. I, I don't, I don't save any of my patterns, not even on my belt. I do everything new. Um, I know a lot of guys will do like repetitive work. Like they'll get one pattern for one belt and they'll kind of maybe change the color technique or throw something else, but the pattern's the same. I don't, I don't really like doing that, which kind of 
takes more time when I do a project, but it's unique to itself. And that's, that's what I enjoy out of it the most. And so for me, it's more of, it'll probably always be more of a hobby. I would like to get enough time to have kind of a line of products that I could offer to people. But uh, right now, you know, my main focus has just been um, making a living basically this farm. And you, you said you do mostly the the shoe ones actually keeping the lights on, so you're doing that quite a bit. How many how many clients do you actually do? You know, you know I've <clears throat> I just started full time on it last year, and I have grown so fast. I have I really don't have a number on my clients. All I know is I'm doing it I'm doing it about every day, and I've I've gotten to the point where I just about can't take on any more new clients. Yeah, sure. I'm getting getting a little bit more pickier and um I, i've really been enjoying it um so much to the point where i i i mean i just love doing it every day it's uh, something that i want to get better at um, i look for new clients i'm looking more for like performance uh, people um stuff where i can kind of do different things with it you know there's i mean because it's it's crazy when I when I first started doing it, I thought I was pretty good. You know, I, you know, you kind of like, oh man, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. I can make a living doing it. But then when I got to doing it every day, and I look back, and it's like I didn't know crap. Now, what, and what then I look of, at myself. What kind of shoeing are you doing? Like, I know uh, there's like the natural balance shoeing and and all of that. Uh, you kind of play with all of it. I can, or does it depend on the customer? Yeah. Yeah, it depends on the customer, right? I mean, I have, at the end of the day, it's it's, it's what's best for the horse. Um, you know, that's, so, I mean, I have my recommendations of what we need to do, but then, you know, usually the client has a direction where they want to go, you know, whether it be like raiding or uh, trail riding, you know, draft horses, pulling, um, what conditions those horses are going to face. I mean, Shoeing is the soundness of the horse and keeping the horse sound is the name of the game. You know, I don't, I don't like doing something for someone, even though that's what they want, but it's not best for the horse. I don't really, I will kind of, then I'll throw my two cents in and say, nah, you know, let's not do that. Let's do something a little different here. You'll kind of try to put them in the right direction. That's one thing too, like, you know, finding a farrier, um, with the app, that's kind of one of the visions, you know, I, I see the app really going and benefiting as far as just the regular, you know, obviously there's a benefit of finding rodeos and, you know, connecting to some of these businesses. I think, um, you know, between your horse trainers and your farriers um, is being able to find them like the near you. And, you know, if you're traveling with horses and um, being able to actually go to a profile and look at the content to see like, okay, this is the quality of work they do. Um, I think that's one of the, the visions I see the app really, you know, really kind of getting to where, you know, you can find a farrier anywhere in the country, you know, and I mean, for right. yeah. with him, it's relatively cheap. I mean, a dollar a month, $12 a year. Heck, you shoot one horse off of that and you've already paid for it. But speaking for the, of that, yeah, speaking of the app, Let's talk about the app because I mean, you just threw that in there, and I feel like um, that's part of. I mean, that's the biggest reason why me and you are here today. I mean, that's kind of been the that's the platform that this was created on. Yeah. But a lot of people don't know about it, and so tell me about it. You're the you're the creator. You're the inventor. So you're I mean, the best so person to it, talk to it, on this. It really got started. You know, heck, it's been a year. Year ago. You got it. You got it. You got to say the name of it first. Okay, now. Western Edge. All right, so the Western <laughs> Edge app. I'm the co-founder of it. Luke has um, some ownership in it, and you know the. I invest. The, I'm the. I'm an investor. <laughs> the, the whole the whole idea of the app though started about a little over a year ago, and um, you know scrolling through Facebook and stuff, and every single day I get a memory on my phone at some point in my career I have said, asked the question, "Where's the bull ride at this weekend?" and <laughs> It's literally, it's crazy, you know, because the, the Facebook memories, I mean, they really reveal a lot. And that's one of the things I noticed, like that was happening daily. 
like at some point I was wondering where could I go ride bulls at and right you know, so me and um my partner uh, Vinny Malzahn with BM Sports you know we were talking about it so we kind of collabed and you know, so we, we kind of created this app, you know, this platform to be able to find rodeos near you. So contestants could actually start to, you know, if I'm going to Florida and I have a PBR in Florida and, you know, I have two days on the way up there to hit a rodeo, then how do I find that those rodeos? And, and that was, you know, that's a kind of a difficult part. It's one thing, you know, if you're really close to home, but it's another thing when you're traveling. And maybe you want to hit a couple more rodeos to fill your pockets up. So being able to find that and then as that kind of grew, you know, we started realizing, you know, this whole entire Western demographic was not connected as much anymore because Facebook and Instagram and the social platforms that people connect on were just getting too broad and, you know, it's really difficult. So basically, you know, if you share something, it's your friend's friend. And that's about as far as it goes, you know, with um, connecting to people. So we kind of went um, even further. I started thinking, man, you know, training horses. I mean, heck, you were talking to me, uh, you know, a while back and you were saying how, you know, you were so busy. I don't know if you're rodeoing or whatever, and you had a colt you needed to get started. And you just didn't have time to do it yourself, so you needed to find somebody. Um, yeah. And and so, you know, being able to find somebody that's quality, you know, instead of just like, you know, finding somebody on Facebook where you don't really, you know, see see their content. And um, and you can find a lot of the stuff on there. It takes forever, you know. So, you know, kind of so, I mean, that allows you to connect more conveniently. So basically, you know, Western Edge is created to connect the pinpoint and connect the the western lifestyle with western people um, basically it's western people connecting to western businesses and 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 with one another as well we even have a, a a social platform on there a social element to to it you know um but it's right. just you know I don't know why but I mean with Facebook it probably was more effective early on it's just gotten so broad and I mean heck where we've gone politically and stuff I would even go as far as to saying a lot of these uh, companies are being, you know, suppressed, you know, and, and kind of put in the back burner where you really have to dig to find them. Right. No, I think uh, it is tough. Like, um, I have, I've rodeoed for, since I was 14, so basically almost 15 years. And uh, I know every Midwestern association to ride bulls at i know how to contact them but if i was out on the east coast or the west coast and i know they have the same amateur associations to ride at i mean obviously in the same places but i don't know i don't know the the i don't have those people in my friends list to on facebook to to find that information now and then facebook's got to the point where you know, they have narrowed, you know, I have like 5,000 people on my friends list. That's, I know probably a hundred of them and I interact with probably 12 of them. <laughs> and so, you know, I don't know if you've noticed like your followers and the people you follow, like you may have 5,000 friends, but you're only going to see like 150 of those people's content posted. So even if I was friends with the people out on the East and the West coast, I'm not going to see their their ads or any of that stuff because it's not something I go to every day. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. So, I, so think, I like... I think on that point, so, like with some of these associations and stuff trying to find athletes, so one of the things that our app does that is send push notifications. And so now, mm -hmm. you know, uh, some of these associations and stuff are able to send push notifications out to, you know, maybe it's a specific dif discipline, maybe it's barrel racers on the app, and it will send a push notification out to all the barrel racers on the app. And so specific people will get push notifications on their phone. Maybe it's, it's a big barrel race that's coming up, you know, um, or a team roping or a bull riding, you know. Um, and so I think that kind of technology right. allows for these associations, even even memberships, like, I would say that, so, you know, at least here in the Midwest, I imagine this is everywhere. So 
about 10 years ago, there was only a couple, you know, like here, here in the Midwest, you had NFPB, BOA, MRCA, you know, around Missouri and, um, you know, ACRA, there was a a few of them, but they were all, you know, and then all the little associations were within it, all the little committees and stuff. Um, And then, so then everybody started going solo. And so now there's like, you know, 50 different ones and everything is kind of fractured off. And um, there's just as many events. There's actually more events now, but it's kind of harder to find all of them because unless you're following all of those and all of the ones that kind of broke off and did their own thing, then, you know, you're, you're not quite as informed. I know we had, uh, it was, so when I came back from knee surgery this past fall and there was a bull riding on a Wednesday, 15 minutes from my house. And I didn't hear about it until Thursday after it was over. <laughs> really? Because it was just, but so I mean, it, it, it goes back to how Facebook and I mean basically Facebook because I don't use Instagram and I don't understand it that much. I don't but think Facebook Instagram is used as much for like businesses like associations or anything really um, like putting out there. I feel like so Facebook I think is more you know you have your own page right and then you can go so right. if I'm searching for a rodeo on on social media generally I'm not going to Instagram I'm going to Facebook. Right. So that's what I was saying. So like basically like with Facebook, it goes back to like your followers and your following the people that you're following. And like I go to a lot of amped up bull riding. Well, so I see everything that amped up puts on. Um I don't go to very many MRCA, so I see nothing that MRCA does. But I live in an area where, like, I can think of three, four that are within an hour of my house um, that I could go to that are probably 500 added or better that are, like, through the week when nothing else is going on. But I don't hear or see their ads or any of that stuff because I don't follow them regularly, you know, and that's what's that's so that's so that's what exciting me. So. So let's back up and, and see so how we're going to fix that with the Western Edge is basically you've created a map um, and then you've able you've created a search bar where you can search the ideas so where we can pull up the map, see what's going on, what's around, and then also have a search bar where you can type in like a region or money added and it'll pull up everything. All the bull ridings or barrel racing or shows, whatever it is that you're into, will be there. Western sports related. Yeah, and you can, and it, and it's by tag too. So like, so some of these businesses <coughs> is like, if you're trying to find, you know, a farrier, you can type in farrier or horseshoeing, um, horse trainer. Right. It's not. It, it's not. Yeah. It's not just rodeo. Correct. Yeah. Right. It's the, I, It's going to be. Right. Right. And. I always talk about, so we talked about this last night when we were talking on the phone about how, you know, it's kind of, you know, bull riding's our thing. Like, you know, we're bull riders first and foremost. So you kind of start with something you know, and then it's just pretty neat how it's grown for you. And, and it's going to include everything. Like, I got on it this morning and looked at it, and it's changed since you first put it out there i don't how when was that like Man, when, so when was your soft release the I soft guess? release was the end of august i believe end right august, september something like that it was right around the end of august september um probably probably really september to be honest and then yeah it's uh it's grown and in the, in the first the, time it really was introduced to the public the cool thing for me that I like about it is that the more it's something that will only get, I, I it's crazy because I'll just talk about what we talked about last night too. Is like, remember how Facebook, when it first started, it was just like, it was designed for the, the people we know, like, like personally. Right. And it was so small and like, you just had your, 50 friends was a lot like because really that's all that's probably all the people you know is 50 people that you interact with in your life um, 
instead of so small, then you look at where it's grown now with the data that they've, you know, accumulated and how they've changed it. And it's become such a big marketing platform as well. And that's the same thing with this app is like, if you think about where it was going to be in 10 years and, you know, the da- the data that we're going to be able to, to save and the research, you know, that's going to be done and how much we're going to improve it. Like the more people we get on it, the better it's going to be because the more intel we're going to have on what we need, what, what the Western lifestyle really needs, you know, what, what do we need out there right now? And that's, we'll just build on it or you're going to build on it. I'm talking like we, it's not it's really not we it's you but um well the biggest thing i think is just, feedback you know i mean we, right. we have a one of the coolest parts is like and, and i think this is a, is a big part is this is made from people in the western demographic you know like we started this um you know i'm not somebody that's disconnected from this you know I, honestly i wish this would have been created before before me when I first started, you know, going, you know, when I was 20 years old, when I was 19, you know, I really could have utilized something like this. And, um, oh, yeah. Even, even people like in the, in the future, you know, if, you know, where we're going, like people coming over from Brazil or Mexico and, and like, you know, the language barrier that they face and being able to find, I mean, a lot of these Brazilians, they come over from Brazil and they're stuck in a little radius in Texas. And because they don't speak English and they don't understand right. English, so they have to either have somebody enter them or, you know, stay close to home, you know, in, in that small area of Texas where they can actually be able to find. But if, if they had an opportunity to get on an app like this um, and, and in a different in, in their own language and be able to do that, it would it would help them, you know, tremendously. Um, but even, you know, growing up, you know, being able to find, you know. At some point, I don't. I don't want anybody to ever ask on Facebook where the bull riding at this weekend. You know, the goal would be they could literally just go to the app and they could search it and it would tell them where where one's at. Yeah, I mean that's that's the that's the end goal. Um, but you know, it's made yeah, it's by, you know everybody that's in control of this understands you know this demographic you know very well. And, and we're seeking to learn more about the different disciplines. It's been one thing the last, heck, the last six months, I've learned more about the equestrian side. You know, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the rodeo world, um, but you get into some of this equine side of things like, you know, the cutters and the huntsy, and, you know, you have uh, all of these other disciplines within this Western demographic that, you know, I'm trying to learn as much about as possible so that we can develop this app to benefit them just as much as it's going to benefit the rodeo people. Um, and then, you know, even just the, the laymen, the people out there that are part of this demographic, you know, heck, in Missouri, there's, there's horses on every pop- property just about, you know. You go into my mm-hmm. hometown, there's, uh, you know, a trailer and a tiny backyard, and guess what? There's two horses in it. <laughs> right. um, you know, for people like that to be able to, you know, be able to utilize this app i think is kind of the where we want to go with it we want everybody to one-stop shop for everything western you know hey everybody thanks for tuning in to the rodeo wagon podcast if you haven't already make sure you go to your app store and download western edge app Um, it's there that you can check out all of the cool businesses you can get connected to rodeos near you and you can find cowboy hats kind of like our sponsor sombrero brand cowboys finest they make sweet hats got this one right here the hand next one i guess going to be a modified gust check their hats out they're quality made made in the usa made in texas and also make sure you go to westernedgeapp.com you can get set up with one of these cool hats and some more merch that's coming along the way Hope you're enjoying the podcast and we'll see you here in a minute. Yeah, it's kind of like what we, I mean, it's, it's basically my whole life in one spot, um, which is pretty, pretty neat. Uh, but we've talked about bull riding and just touching on the equestrian side of it, um, which I've had horses my whole life, but I really haven't pursued a career in it till probably the last four years of my life 
because I was so so stuck on riding bulls. I got with everything I, I ate, slept, and drank bull riding, and and now. But I've I've always had a love for horses, and and so I I am doing what I love now as well. But um, it I can see the benefits for it, and the fact that. I mean, just take the horse market. Anybody that's in it or been around horses knows that, like, the demand for horses or the price for horses, for one, is just like quadrupled in the last two years. Like, it's just shot through the roof. The the need for a like you can't. Taylor sent me uh, an ad for a I think it was a three year old grade grade Appy Gilding, uh, just halter broke. They wanted fifteen hundred dollars for him, and I've through my lifetime, I've watched that same horse sell for $150 at the sale barn, you know, like five years ago. And uh, in my opinion, the reason behind it is the use of social media and being able to market horses across the United States of America. You know, not, you know, you, you go to a horse sale and you're going to get people within a hundred mile radius around you. And there's very few people that make a living in, in with horses anymore. So, you know, it kind of limits your market so that it controls the price because the people within 100 miles control the price of what you can get for that horse. Right. Um, but with social, with social media now, you know, we're able to do like live auctions where you can watch it on the Internet and bid on horses without even being there. And that was like the other day I went to a, a, a horse sale in Nevada. Um, anyways, I watched a two-year-old Blue Roan filly uh, sell, or it, I didn't think they sold it, but it got up to $9,000. And it was all due to an internet bid. There was one person in the ring wanting it, and there was one person on the internet wanting it. But I guarantee there wasn't another person in that cell ring that wanted it as bad as the guy that was bidding on. You know, it takes two people to to bid on a horse. And so just that, I mean, drove that horse's price, you know, because I was looking at it, I'm like, yeah, you know, 5000 maybe, you know, in today's market. But like it drove the price of that horse up twice as much um, with the use of, of uh, technology. So with so we already have that, you know, available to an extent. But if we're able to pinpoint, you know, if someone's able to get on an app and say, I need a four-year-old gilding, um, was just I need it started, and I re- need it started and ready to go to the roping pin and be able to either type that in or put an ad out there. And then everybody that sells roping horses gets, a, a like you said, a push notification. Then, right then and there, then bam, that makes my life 20 times easier instead of taking pictures of my horse and posting it to 30 different groups and yeah. hoping one of them people in there are looking for what I have, you know. Uh, so it's going to, I think, even better the market on the equestrian side and then also the ability to find um, services like barriers. I mean, we're not. Uh, we're hard to find anymore because for one it's a pretty tough job and there's not a lot of young guys wanting to bend over all day and stay underneath that thousand pound horse so i mean it's tough to find that and it's it's tough to find reputable reputable people that do it um all the way down to chiropractic work for horses to to trainers you know trainers are so hard to find because transportation like you're talking about you know bidding yeah you know, like that's a couple companies that are getting ready to be added to the app are, are equine transportation companies. And we've right. been them. And I mean, that's a big deal because like, like you said, the online bidding, like talk, even talking, even in the bull world, Brady, you know, Brady Sims, me and him have talked for hours about that. And, you know, just like since, ever, since it's gone online, like the, the prices have gone up, people aren't going there they can sit at their house you know in their underwear on the couch and and build right. the people they want so then but then that actually <clears throat> opens the door up for you know transportation companies because then the question is if you buy one you know if there's a you know bull auction in you know 
Oklahoma, but you live in Virginia and you bought, you know, this bull or horse, you know, then, then the transportation to get it to you, you know, unless you're going to pick it up, but anymore, you know, that opens the door for some of these companies out there and, you know, and it, and it shines a spotlight on companies that are already existing that people are unaware of and now there's a need for it. And that, and that too, like, so I, I touched on the fact that like, it's going to drive our market up. Um, the price of our animals because that's I mean that's how we make a living is is selling this stock and being able to to pay our bills but you know the price we get but also too I have found so the difference in the economy you know I, I'm originally from southwest Missouri now I live in northwest Missouri but the differences in the economy from just a 250 mile um, radius is, is crazy so I'm like one of the cheapest guys around here that shoots horses. I know. I mean, I know. And I, it's not that I don't, I mean, I'm making a living doing what I'm doing and I, I want to be fair. I want to be able to help everyone. Um, and I'm just starting out. I'm not a very good business person, but anyway, not always best be the cheapest, but what I'm getting at is that I'm one of the cheapest around here. But I'm also one of the most expensive if I was to go back home. Oh, okay. You know, the price difference for the same amount of, you know, the same work, it, just because of the area and the economy around you. Um, and also, there's probably more people in southwest Missouri that shoe horses than there are in northwest Missouri. But, like, I'm talking, like, twice price. Like, I know guys in Kansas City that are getting 150 ahead to shoot a horse and then i know that you know the guys that do the same quality work are getting like 80 to 70 back home and it's like but it's just a different market and i feel like so and then same thing with transportation you know i know guys that are hauling horses for a living or hauling cattle for a living and you know they're making good money and then i know guys that are struggling and to be able to put it all into one spot it kind of equals the playing field because you know it, you're not part of the reason why it is you know uh, supply and demand is what usually drives your your price of your of your your merchandise or whatever sure. whatever i'm trying to say this my homeschooling is kicking in <laughs> but, uh, um but when you have it in one spot and you're able to find it um, it makes it a lot easier and, and, and kind of levels the playing field for everybody and so on. Yeah, and Taylor's. another thing too is like, so with kind of where we're going with like the, the training, especially the training, you know, is, is I've been considering that is like, so our ability on the app to provide a platform. So you have, you know, some big horse trainers, you know, you have the Pat Pirelli's of the world and, and, and such that, you know, they have the platform to be able to market their their videos so they're not just making money training horses they're also selling their content you know and um so being able to do you know for a horse trainer to do the exact same thing he's doing but to be able to you know put some of his videos behind a paywall so that you know not only is he getting paid for training the horses but for actually providing the content to people that are trying to learn you know, um, you know, because because what I find is, especially with horse trading and it, um, maybe even with shoeing, but you get to the point where you've kind of tapped out on how much you can handle. So basically, when you tap out how much you can handle, you can increase the price a little bit, right? But also, right. you pretty much have tapped out on how much money you're making. But there's a lot yeah, they... of guys that do great content. And people want and are willing to pay to learn how to do what he's doing. And if you could oh, yeah. explain what you're doing and put that behind a paywall, then people could, you know, and it, it doesn't have to be expensive, whatever that means to the, whatever that's worth to the horse trainer, whatever that's, that value is to him, he can, you know, actually start to expand a little bit because maybe there's a person in Montana that is, you know, following a guy from, you know, Missouri or Oklahoma. And it's like, hey, I really like this guy. I found him on the app. 
I've seen the videos that he's put out on his profile, and now I would like to, you know, maybe take one of his courses or, you know, get a more inside, insider access to the, the content he's producing, what he's actually doing to produce these courses. So, like, yeah, just, yeah, exactly. Like, if you used to buy a set of training videos from Clinton Anderson, I think at one time that's like $600 for yeah. a set. Like, right. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> I know guys that, you know, have the same ability as he does and maybe just didn't push his image as much as that guy did. did do the same quality work. Right, but do the same work as he does that right. make six hundred dollars to train the horse for you. You know, like and and here you are buying the videos for six hundred dollars and like again it, it equals that playing field out and, and spreads the spreads the wealth, you know, because it's basically the reason why Clinton Anderson's videos are six hundred dollars, there is no one else that has it. So he's able to market for whatever you want you know if you don't want it fine it's whatever i'm gonna sell you know if i sell one for six hundred dollars instead of selling 20 for for 30 it's the same difference you know so because he controls the market and it's all because of there's just limited access to content like that there's not content out there like that um youtube has it i remember youtube has it john lyons the books right <laughs> yeah i remember the first one that we got because i'm not i am not um you know even though this is my life now i am not from a western my my parents do not have a western lifestyle i mean my dad's an architect and uh, my mom uh, was a studied music in college and is a great musician but no we did not come from a western heritage i should say um so like when our we got our first horse when I was uh, well I guess it'd be twenty twenty one years ago I still own the horse first I my brother one of my older brothers had a mare before but this one but this is like the first this is when our family took the turn towards horses but yeah it's, so I guess it'd be twenty years ago um, but my parents purchased the John Lyons book and Monty Roberts remember him. And my dad did. As a, I would have been what nine, eight years old, and uh, of course I thought it was humbo jumbo bullcrap. Like you know, I was pretty cocky and arrogant. You know, I like I don't, I don't need to listen to this bullcrap. Like just get in there and get it done. But <laughs> you know, looking back now, like those guys was pretty pretty brilliant. You know, they they understood horses. You know, um, it's crazy, but. But yeah, like the the content is not there, and and there is, like YouTube, I was saying, has it to a degree, but usually, because, you know, these guys got to make a living, so they usually just put like, a, a trailer or a tease of what they're doing, like that, you know, or they don't really. One person like TikTok, is a crazy app now, I follow a trainer in Texas on TikTok and he'll I've learned some things but but one thing I've noticed everything he does he does on a trained horse right like he shows it on a horse that already knows how to do it right and you know as well as I know that every horse reacts different to what you do one one thing will work on one horse and then you'll have to go at another horse a completely different way and it's all about reading reading what the horse is giving to you and basically communicating with the horse. And, and that's what people, um, that's what people don't understand. You know, it's, it's not a process. It's not, there is no blueprint to how to train a horse. It's all about feel and reading the animal. And there are things that you can learn to help you with that. Um, but that's what a lot of guys don't touch on. Like that's, I feel like there's. So, anyways, yeah, it's just like it's it's exciting for me because, as for someone that didn't come from it, didn't grow up in it, didn't have a dad, you know, that done it every day, and I didn't watch it when I was two years old, and that I just grew into this. I, you know, I I've had to learn it, and it, you are the primary prime example of it. Like you started riding bulls, like when you were what, eighteen. 
Yeah, I was a, I was a senior in high school. Yeah. yeah. When you got when you got on your first bull, and you're riding bulls on the biggest stage successfully, and competing against guys that have done it their whole life. Yeah. And the learning curves that we face, um, because of just not growing up in it, um, to me were just like tremendous hurdles because we had to. Like I had bull riding, like I have a—I don't know if it's dumb or not, but like I, when I go at something, like I try, I don't—I I give it everything I have. Like I uh, kind of retard strength I got, you know. Like I just—I don't know pain, or I don't, you know, like. So I had to try, but I didn't know any of the techniques, and right. I had a a winning edge video of Donnie Gay. Okay. The bull talk, the bull talk video of Lane Cross, and then I had an ultimate bull riding video of the greatest NFR rides from like the 2000s. And who else did we watch? Um, I think that was it that we watched. That we watched growing up, and then then Gary LeFew came along, and. All credit goes to Gary. Gary is like he had it figured out. Lane Frost, Donnie Gay, great bull riders, horrible teachers, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, there was there was things and points that they made that were great, but they taught how they rode bulls, and they left out the fact that they had just a God-given talent to do it, and not so like everybody has that. With field, like you can you can teach you know a structure. One that's one thing, but there's still a field to it. You know that yeah, that has to be and that learned. and if you can't really communicate, but, but, it, it's very difficult to. It really goes back to that try. You know the try and the and the will to succeed. Like how bad do you want it? Like how bad do you want to do this? Because it's going to be uncomfortable, and it's going to be painful sometimes. And um getting out of your comfort zone is, is tough for some people. Like they don't ever cross that barrier and, and things, but you know, you, you we're getting off track here. Like, um, okay. So on that point, so, uh, you know, Vinny with VM sports, he comes from a baseball background, right? So more of a sports background, which is, you know, more or less what I came from, you know, I wasn't around Brody at all. Um, but so he actually said something to me the other day that was really interesting. He said, so you have uh, the difference between, like, NFL, NBA, and, like, MLB, okay? So in the NBA and NFL, so the guys that make it in the NBA and the NFL, right, are freak athletes. They're not always the best football players or the best basketball players when it comes to, like, just, you know, uh, structure, right, and, and, you know, basketball knowledge and football knowledge and IQ, right? But they're freak athletes mm -hmm. and, and they're so athletic, it takes them to that level. You know, it's, you know, kind of the difference between um, women's, you know, pro basketball and, you know, the NBA. So the WNBA and NBA, you know, where the WNBA is very structured, right? But, um, and, and same thing with football. But baseball, and, and this is where the comparison is, you have guys that are freak athletes right that are you know top draft picks and they spend four years in development before they make it their big league debut so in base in baseball you know if you if you're you know 24 and you make your debut in the mlb that's pretty young i mean that's a that's that's more common like you know uh, the cardinals this last year they had I think the youngest guy that made his debut was 22, and that was, like, crazy. Like, that's crazy young. If you're under 22 when you make it into the MLB, like, you spent – first of all, you spent time in development already, you know. Um, whereas, like, the NBA, you know, in the, in, in the NFL, you, you actually see that a little bit earlier on most of the time. They're not – it doesn't take as much time to develop. And, and the reason is is because baseball is such a hard sport. And um, with with uh, bull riding, I think that's going to start to happen, and it's going to have to start to happen more because of the, the difference in like the levels between going to an amateur deal and going up to the UTB. Like those bulls at the UTB are night and day difference. 
and the development to be able to get on those bulls consistently, you know, takes time. I just think it's, you know, um, that development part of it is, you know, a, a, a big part, I think, that we're going to start seeing. Right. So, so basically, what you're saying is that, like, we're growing in that area of our sports that just physical talent isn't going to cut it anymore. You're going to have to have both. They're going to have to be a level of right. athleticism and structure. So back in like Don Gay's day, you know, Lane Frost, right? Um, the Bulls weren't as good, just just as a fact. They weren't. You know, the Bulls today are is the best. As they you're, consistently as good as they ever. You're going to make a lot of people mad talking like that. You better watch. Yeah, it. but it, it's so true, <laughs> and everybody knows it. It's not even you know. Everybody, I'm talking to Casey, right, Coulter, and you know he's 32. Yeah. And he's like, man, just just in ten years, he said, just in the last ten years, you've seen the consistency of you know of ranked bulls. I mean, it's it's gotten crazy. Now, back in Don Gay's day, it was a completely different era than even you know, ten twenty years ago. You know, there's still probably in the last you know ten years, there's been ranked bulls. You know, ten years ago, there was just as ranked bulls. There just wasn't as many of them. Nowadays, the breeding program is just through the roof. You know. Um, Right, but so so what's going to begin to happen is first of all you've already seen it in the athleticism, um, the amount of guys, you know, in the top thirty in the world that are athletes is is almost all, of them. almost all of them are doing some sort of training, right? And they're they're, right. Main, they're you know they're actually uh, cautious about you know what they're doing with their body and what they're putting in their body and making sure that they can perform at that high level. Um, but also the the feel part is still there, so it's a combination of both. And I was actually even talking to Keith the other day, or was it you? And we were talking about how the feel even changes because, um, you know, the bulls are actually going to be, you know, as, as they develop and they grow and they get ranker, you're gonna, you know, the feel's going to change. They're going to be doing different things. I, I would say that those top level bulls, um, you almost have to ride the kick more nowadays than you probably did back in, in, in you know 10 years ago maybe i mean there is there's fundamentals that you have been and talk like going back to gary lefew like gary lefew is the one that that to, for me pinpointed how to ride a ranked bull his philosophy and what he teaches works today and will work for now on like if you understand bull riding and you understand the physics of what it takes to ride an animal bucking and 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 you know Everybody didn't like to hear Ty Murray talk, but how you counteract the bull's movement. You know, that's what you're doing. And, you know, there's fundamentals that you do that you have to do. Now, at the end of the day, though, it's eight seconds. And it's it's sitting there hanging on a bull for eight seconds. And sometimes just pure grit and try. You know, take J.B. Mooney, for example. How many times you've seen him get hang out to dry and just somehow make some weird his body just takes over and and just he makes it work and, and slays a dragon. And that's that that goes back to the grit and the uh, just try. He still has fundamentals, he still works on that stuff every day or did. Um so so like back to your development thing. Like I understand that with like baseball and football and basketball because there's strategy. Like there's you're you're on a team. So one guy can't win a baseball game. One guy can't win a, a football game. Um there's you have coaches that strategically move players to positions or parts of the field to counteract with the teams the other teams giving them and and it takes knowledge that you have even if you are the greatest athlete in the world you have to have that knowledge to compete at a professional level because at that point you are competing against guys that are freak athletes and do have the knowledge like right. you know take you know tom brady one of uh, one of my heroes and, and as far as what it comes down to being a competitor, because Tom Brady is not an athlete. 
you know, he is, he is not an athlete anymore. He can't run to save his life. And he'll even, you know, if you watch videos of him, he'll, he'll even say that. But he won more championships than anybody. And it was due to the fact of his knowledge of the game and being such a fierce competitor. And people hate, people hate it when you have that, you know, he didn't like losing it. Everybody knew it. Like, you know, the videos were going viral about how he's throwing the tablets down and, and like his, just his he drive to win, drive to win. And, you know, I, I know exactly how he feels because um, I want to win. I'm the world's worst loser. But so what I'm getting at is, his knowledge of the game, you know, trumped everybody's knowledge plus their physical ability. And that is just crazy. Um, going back to bull riding, so I think you have to be an athlete. You know, we're, we're, we're crossing in from the being the primitive gladiator sport where the guy with the beer belly gets on at the county fair just ride bulls like you know that's not going to work no more like you can't really probably ride um you probably couldn't road bruiser if he was out of shape like you probably had to have probably had to be in some pretty good physical condition to get on that bull and, and ride him even if you did things fundamentally correct just because of the downdraft of the way he bucked was just out of this world you know so we're we're crossing over and becoming more of an athlete style sport where, you know, like I was talking to somebody the other day about JB Mooney and, and one of the greatest bull riders that's ever been undoubtedly. I mean, he, he's, he's rode more ranks of bulls and, and for me, he's like the Tom Brady of bull riding because it wasn't about his physical ability or his training um his training whatever i'm trying to say there it wasn't about what he did through the week or his physical ability that made him great it was just his ability to believe in himself and his his attitude his winning attitude and how he understood bull riding you know he made it simple and made it to where he could understand it and that's what made him great at it you know one in a million, there'll probably never be another guy like him. Right. Nowadays, um, you have just you like you have guys like Jose, Kaiki, um, Andrew Alvidrez. You know, right now, like you're right. talking about it, the next level of bull rider. I say next level, uh, next generation of bull rider. I mean, right. You, you compare Andrew Alvidrez to JB Mooney, and it's just complete opposite sides of the spectrum. Both very, very talented, but and both work with yeah. a completely different way. Right. And it, so, you know, like I say, we're, back to J.B. Mooney, it was, somebody was saying, like, man, his career should have lasted longer. And if he would have been more proactive on, on what he, you know, what he ate and done and worked out and had, you know, been in more physical condition. And, and I, well, the reason why I'm saying this is because I don't work out. I never worked. I hate working out, but I am stronger than if you put me up pound to pound anybody else, I guarantee you I'd whoop their butt because I'm strong. Like I'm just physically strong because I, I do a physically demanding job every day and I work hard. Um, but also, you know, I'm probably going to break down faster than most guys because, you know, I do stay bent over and, and do, I put my body through things every day that, that people just don't do, you know, and, and that was what his point was, was like, yeah, JB Mooney didn't work out, but he did ride horses a lot. You know, he's a cowboy through and through. And, and if anybody knows what cowboys do is we do stupid things with our bodies and <laughs> get ride bucket horses and get bucked off and we hit the ground and, we get banged up and we just keep fighting through it because that's what cowboys do. And his point was like, he would have been, he would have lasted longer had he been more of a competitor and taking care of his body and stretched and done all this. But I was like, I think the balance too, and this is when you get start getting into this whole performance based athleticism, right? Training. Um, you get into this part of it. Okay. 
it's just as much training is just as much recovery as it is putting in the work. And, and I think that's going to be a huge part of what this looks like moving forwards. You have a lot of guys that are training hard, but are they recovering as hard as they're training? You know, and that's right. by, a great example of this is Tom Brady, um, Antonio Brown. You know, these are guys that took their recovery very, very seriously and are, you know, competed, you know, at a very high level late in their careers. Um, it wasn't so much how hard Tom Brady was working out. It was how well he was recovering. And in this sport, right. more than anything, during the, during the regular season or during the riding season, which for most guys is all year, it's how well are you recovering between weekends. And that's what's going to extend your career. It's not it, how much, how strong you are. Although, yeah, that's it. Help, but. So for me personally, the best person that explained that, it was Tom Brady in his book. And, and he talked about how his training was, uh, design uh, based around uh, pliability is what pliability. he called it basically and the ability to, to absorb a hit and, and get up and keep going and, and to me that's bull ride right on the nail head yeah. because because when you when you do your job right when you counteract the bull's movement correctly and you're in time with that animal it takes very little strength to ride an animal to, to ride a bull but through just just me me personally when I was 16 years old and I hit the ground and got stomped on or or got jerked down or whooped down and and got beat the hell up you know the next day shit I was ready to ride again like because my body was pliable now you take me now and you've taken the years of abuse that I've put my body through and the fact that I stay bent over all day and I am sore, you know, I don't ever, you know, I think the biggest thing with shooting horses is that you get so sore physically and you do it day in and day out, your body never recovers from it. So if your body never recovers, then it becomes a big callus and it gets stiff and hard and then you hurt and you ache. And so that's a dumb way to explain it because I'm not no doctor or anything or nothing, but. So that's what's happening. You know, now when I hit the ground, I'm like a big freaking hard piece of bone. I hit the ground, I just ache for days because my body lost its pliability. And I think that is going to be huge for guys. That's the biggest thing when you talk about getting on bulls on the UTB level uh, every weekend is the ability to take the beat most guys do because it don't matter how good you are as rank as those bulls are like think about tough Hedeman when we talked about getting jerked down on bodacious is like he's like man i felt like i was in position so that i was riding that bull and i felt like i was going to be 95 again on him and then the next thing i know i got teeth knocked out my my face broke and that's what it's like it's like you can be riding those bulls and be like I got them road or you're in the correct position and they'll just pull a knife out and shove it right in your back and bam, you're done. You know, and that then being able to get up and, and heal up through the week and go do it again every weekend. It's tough. That's, I mean, that is just huge. I mean, that's where, that's where the training I think is coming in. And these guys that do train are having more success because, you know, their body stays pliable and, they're able to absorb the, the blows. It really comes down to pliability, maybe the most important, at least one of the most, uh, mobility, which is just as important, especially with bull riders and hips, hip mobility. Um, yeah. All else. And then lastly is flexibility, and it's actually le the least important of the three. Flexibility is, it does not matter as much as uh, mobility and, and pliability. I say that as though it's not important. It's very important still, but um, pliability and mobility are very, very important for this specific sport. You know, we don't and necessarily need to be super flexible, but we do have to be very pliable, pliable and, and mobile in certain joints. And those things all come hand in hand. Yeah, they do. You know, they, yeah, you know, that you, you basically can't have one and not have the other two. Right. They're all, they're uh, all, so, yeah. and it's the, but it's different, like, for me, uh, 
developing the bull rider because that's kind of what we got on the subject about is is that it's not about lifting weights and getting physically strong and, and beating yourself up in the gym it's it's about just being physically fit yeah correct. Uh, with, with the with the body mass that you have and i see a lot of guys that help with body to help with um you know the recovery process like what weight can you recover the best weight? you know for me it's around 140 to 145 140 to 150 that's my best weight uh, recovery most importantly like I, I've been up to 190 and very strong I recovered very poorly because that was 40 more pounds 50 more pounds hitting the ground and that, mat- right. that matters a lot so finding that weight where you could actually recover um, quicker is very important so <clears throat> basically just back to the to the bull riders of today's age is that like your weight Nobody ever thought about that twenty years ago. No, nobody ever thought about that forty. You know, other than if you were fat, maybe, maybe if you were overweight, but it wasn't. It wasn't like performance based. Other than you know, yeah, like they didn't think about like, oh yeah, if I'm twenty pounds heavier, if I hit the ground, like that's gonna hurt. No, like yeah, Yeah, not at all. No, it's like, and that's where to me, that's where you're ignorant if you if you don't. If you're going to compete at the level in today's age, if you don't think about those things, like, you know, you're obviously not going to have the edge. Right. And uh, I think ignorant is kind of a harsh word, but. All right. Um, I've, my um, uh, 3% battery, so um, we're going to call it good on this one. Well, don't yell at me. I'm just getting started. <laughs>